Welcome to Basecamp for Men. I'm your host, Tony Rezac. This is the show that gives you insights and resources on how to live a more courageous life. We'll be looking at men, the current state of masculinity, and how to create a more inspiring narrative for all men. Welcome and let's get started. Hello, listeners. A quick housekeeping thing before we get started. I am off next week, so no episode. We will return full steam ahead on Tuesday, July 5th. So have a great 4th of July, all of you. I love speaking with futurists and forward thinkers. Whether or not they are right 100% of the time is really beside the point. Engaging with these visionaries opens up our minds and creates possibilities that weren't there prior. The topic of Bitcoin is one that is being talked about all over the world. What is it? What possibilities does it create for humanity? And how do we navigate this transition with a clear head? How do we continue to create sovereignty and freedom for ourselves, for our loved ones, and for future generations? It is a topic that has been front and center for me for quite some time, and I like to ride shotgun with people that can help frame the issues and make sense of things. My guest today is one such person. Enjoy the interview. Mark Jeftovic is an author, CEO of EasyDNS, career contrarian and anti-guru, and one of the founding members of the post-punk band Parkdale Hookers. I love it. He is, in my opinion, offering a fresh take on our future and what is unfolding, particularly in the crypto space. I caught up with Mark to talk about, well, all the stuff we love to talk about. Here's my interview with Mark Jeftovic. All right, I am here with Mark Jeftovic. Crypto capitalist, CEO, thought leader, contrarian investor, lead singer, guitar player of Parkdale Hookers. I love saying that. Welcome back on the show, Mark. It's great to have you back on. Hey, Tony. Great to be back. Thanks. You know, I have to mention Parkdale Hookers because it gives you rock and roll street cred, and I'm a big believer in rock and roll street cred. So I have to. I always have to mention that. Plus, I just like saying Parkdale Hookers. Uh, do you guys still play, or do you just still fiddle around with the guitar on your own, or do you guys ever gig anymore? Or? I well, the band has been kind of defunct for a number of well, a couple of years now. It was just too hard to get the three of us in a room at the same time. This yeah, yeah. Before COVID. Sure. And uh, Phil, the bass player, has since moved out to the east coast of Canada. Okay. Uh, so, you know, that's kind of, I still play guitar. I mean, I've been playing guitar all my life, but of course. not in a band at the time. Yeah. Okay. Well, you know, you and I did an episode a little while back uh, called uh, Throwing Bombs with Mark Jeftovic. It, I think it was episode 126. I named it that partly because of the rock and roll, but you have a, a newsletter called Throwing Bombs as well. Uh, or the bomb thrower, I guess I should say. Yeah. Um, and man, what a time. We've got a lot to talk about. Uh, globalist agenda, the markets. Man, I, I went this morning to go buy, uh, you know, what I had it picked out as some value stocks. I was like, oh, let me tool over there. And by the time I got logged on, the markets, the stock market was just cratering. I mean, I was just like, oh, maybe I'll, you know, wait, I don't want to, you know, invest $5,000 someplace and then it's down to 4,000 by lunch. So I was like, you know what, I'll go over and I'll buy a little Bitcoin right now instead. And I'll wait a couple of days. But how, how are you navigating this right now as an investor? Like when you are, are you really eyeing the market? Or are you just keeping an eye on what you've got going on in terms of value? Like where are you finding value right now uh, with everything that's going on? Crypto's getting beat up. Stocks are getting beat up. Uh, the bond market. Oh my God. I don't, you know, that that's looking like a total shit show right now. I, I would not want to be in bonds, but, uh, how, how are you making sense of it? How are you finding value before we dive into like the globalist talk and all that jazz? Sure. Well, um, been a lifelong value investor for my, most of my adult life. And, uh, I wound up, you know, launching the crypto capitalist because I started really diving into value investing during lockdowns. And I kept winding up in the same place, which was Bitcoin stocks and crypto stocks. And I found value there in November 2019-ish. Mm -hmm. uh, sorry, this would have been November 2020, my mistake, Yep, because yep. the lockdowns are on. And so I, I allocated there fairly heavily and then launched the letter. And of course, um, you know, the, the crypto markets peaked out in April with, I think like an echo boom peak in uh, November. I think we've actually been in a crypto winter since last April. Yeah. So now I find, 
the crypto stocks are seriously deep value territory because, you know, we came out of a, a, a 10, 15 year everything bubble. And a lot of those companies that were sucking up a lot of oxygen in the major markets were profitless unicorns trading at, you know, infinite earnings multiples because they had no earnings. Yeah. And now uh, we've seen a lot of that value vaporize away. Like just look at, you know, the ARC ETFs and that yep. sort of thing. But yep. you look at the Bitcoin companies and uh, you're on the crypto capitalist list. So you saw the issue that we just sent out last night or two nights ago. I guess yep. it was last night. Mm-hmm. And I'm still like, these companies are still profitable. These right. companies, even at, you know, at the time they filed their last earnings or their monthly updates at 25, 22, $20,000 Bitcoin, they're still profiting. Uh, and trading at really low multiples and a lot of them have really clean balance sheets. And I'm like, this is, this is value. Now there's also value in other areas. Um, I mean, oil commodities, gold, I think still has a hell of a run ahead, ahead of it. Mm -hmm. All of these kind of things that are, that, that sort of lost out during the everything bubble years. I think there's going to be a mother of all sector rotations. Mm-hmm. And uh, and there's even some quality within, you know, within the traditional markets, but I just haven't been paying as much attention to them. Um, so I'm just thinking that, you know, silver, gold, uranium, oil, and the crypto stocks, the Bitcoin stocks, they're all you know, pretty uh, compelling at these values. I'm not saying this is a bottom. I mean, everything can still keep getting sucked down. Yeah. But that's, I look at them and I think this is, I'm finding Ben Graham style net nets, which is like a company trading at below net asset value. That happens. Uh, It happened in 2020 when I started investing in the crypto stocks and it's happening again now. So, Mm -hmm. you know, the article, I love your writing. You've been really nailing it lately, uh, like a combination of futurist, uh, just perceptive things that about what's going on in society viewed through Bitcoin and, and the financial markets and just also the larger the larger narrative and kind of what's going on. I think you're, you're really good at pulling in a bunch of different pieces. And I, I always get stuff out of the newsletter um, all, almost anybody would, cause it's not stuff you're just going to read landing, you know, the stuff that lands in your inbox or you go to see what the news is of the day. This is, this is not that this is a completely, it's got m- more vision to it. Um, it's more contrarian, which I like, uh, it goes against the grain, which I want right now. I feel like that, that helps me understand what's going on, but you wrote one recently, an article called how to protect yourself from Davos man. Um, and you know, in it, you broke it down into what we're dealing with um, and some other points. And in the in the first section of what are we dealing with, you know, you said, you know, who are these guys? And you said they're a combination of kind of Marxists and Mal- Malthusians. And I didn't know who Malthusians were. We we've covered Marx and cultural Marxism and, and who these guys are on a number of episodes. And but you gave a great uh, definition of Marxism or Marxist. You says they're all about eliminating the middle class and creating a two-tiered society, which is has been spoken about a lot. But then you said there's on one hand there's them, a thin scab of elites. I love that phrase, thin scab of elites, who sit atop the cap table of the world, who own everything and make all the rules. And there's the second tier, which is everybody else who owns nothing and have no human or civil rights. Um, this is a great definition of of Marxists. Um, but what are Malthusians and, you know, what, what is their kind of agenda? What are they known for? I, I wasn't familiar with that term and how does it apply to like the world economic forum and people like Klaus Schwab and Justin Trudeau and Bill Gates, all these people that attend, you know, the WEF and sort of make these plans for everybody. Well, it all comes from Thomas Malthus who wrote his famous treaty, around the same time as uh, Darwin. Mm. And he just studied populations of wildlife and said, you know, everything, every population grows until it exhausts the limits of its environment, Mm. its ecological niche. And then the population crashes because they eat up all their food and and then go into almost like a death spiral. Mm -hmm. And so this Malthusian mindset then 
heavily informed the ecological environmental movement, like the club of Rome limits to growth is almost pure Malthusian. Okay. It's, it's basically, there are too many people in the world. Yeah. Of course, the Marxists would call them useless eaters. There's too many useless eaters in the world. And, mm-hmm. and all of these people are going to consume all these resources. And, um, and a narco-capitalist or a libertarian might take that statement and say, if it's true, then pure market forces will actually act as natural attenuators to that. And so population growth would slow and possibly even reverse. And so as, as populations hit their limits, because we're humans and not animals, we would actually start getting these market signals. And without some centralized authority from on high, we would naturally attenuate our own population growth. And even there's studies now, you know, experts who say that global population growth will decelerate and even reverse in the latter part of this century. So, but Malthusians, they kind of look at hockey sticks. They love the hockey stick graph and they say, oh, look, we're doubling every X years and it's going to go to infinity. And then when that happens, then there's going to be no food. There's going to be no electricity. I mean, whatever they apply the hockey stick to, they just, there's this assumption that, it's going to go on forever. And what what makes Marxism and Malthusianism so compatible to each other is then a central authority or self-appointed elites will say, well, look, this is humans are too stupid to think ahead. So they need a guiding force to yep. uh, slam the brakes on all this. And so we need to basically tell everybody else what to do and to ratchet down their consumption and to ratchet down their resource usage, because otherwise um, this is for the good of everybody is what they say. Yeah. You, you said that, you said that in the article that one of the things they do, and I've noticed this is that, you know, they'll often have this kind of veneer, this noble veneer, like, you know, and so you start reading through their, their agenda, like, okay, you know, make all the cars electric and make them smaller. I'm like, all right, you know, okay, let's keep going here. But, you know, it doesn't take very long till they, you see their goal is to eliminate all air travel or shipping. And you're like, what? Come again? Like, what? how are you proposing to do this exactly? And you have no idea what that's going to do. Like, uh, and then, you know, the rules don't apply to them. There's no way they're not going to be flying all over the place. Right. So it's just, it's like, I don't know. It's, it's and and for a particular mindset, uh, it probably sounds fine. Right. Like, yes, we should all, we're all in this together and let's protect the planet. And, you know, I think we all agree that these are the ways to do it. This just makes sense. Right. I know maybe when I was younger, I may have been like nodding my head, like, Oh, this sounds like a proper way to steward leadership, you know, but that was before everything, you know, I was before any kind of awakening I had around who these guys were and maybe what they were really up to. Right. Um, so, you know, in, in the article, you, you, you talk about that, uh, which I love, by the way, you said, uh, the second part of the article is understand it'll never happen. And I caught a big smile because I don't think their plans are really adding up to much either. But you go into a little bit of a perspective on 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 this. And wh- why, in your viewpoint, do you think these globalist plans, the deep state plans of kind of like we're going to this is how we're going to go, uh, says us. Uh, why do you think it's really not going to materialize or at least not the way they think it is? Well, quite simply, there's too many moving parts in the world. Mm -hmm. We are a globally connected, interconnected, interdependent economy, and it is far too complex for any one central authority to govern that. And, you know, as we evolved as a civilization, yeah, when you have small tribes or even city states and countries, you can have this centralized authority that can actually create strategies and create long-term goals and kind of mobilize the population in that general direction. And that's done through incentives and it's done through um, um, showing people the benefits of doing this and, and trading off certain protections of rights. 
And that works up until a certain point. But even then, we see countries today are starting to balkanize and fracture. It's all part of, you know, the centralized versus decentral uh, yeah. decentralization revolution. But to to be able to top down control the inputs and outputs of the entire world is lunacy. Yeah. We've seen it already fail in every communist uh, experiment that's been tried, the Soviet five-year plans, the the Chinese Great Leap Forward, they were just all disasters. Yep. And we're seeing more disaster after disaster today. The COVID response, total shit show. Yep. Every, you know, now we're, you know, in central banks, what they're doing to the economy, it's they're targeting inflation, then inflation's out of control. Now they're doing frantic rate heights and they're still yeah. trying to pull a soft landing out of it. None of this is going to happen, yeah. right? This is all just lurching from catastrophe to catastrophe. And they're all self-induced yeah. by trying to control the outcomes. And humanity has one superpower, okay? Just one. And that's the power to adapt. Mm. And so we have to get rid of this technocratic mindset that we can control the outcomes and we can eliminate all the bad outcomes because by trying to do that, we create even worse outcomes. Mm -hmm. So the, the business cycle will never go away. There's going to be booms, there's going to be busts, and we're just going to have to let it run and, and adapt to it. There's going to be places where the population runs too too much and they're gonna and it's going to adapt to that. We're gonna get off of fossil fuels at some point because right. you know yep. for the simple fact that the earth is a finite place and we don't have an infinite amount of fossil fuels. That right there, if you let that incentive structure run, what'll happen is eventually the cost of oil will be so high that we will have transitioned off before that. But we can't manage that transition from a top down. And we're actually seeing energy crises the world over right now because we're trying to manage that transition. We're trying to wave a magic wand and say, it's got to happen now, mm -hmm. but the world isn't ready for it now. So are we, are we in one of your, I think it was one of your last uh, newsletters, you were talking about the death of the death spiral of the bond market and then these rate hikes. Yeah. You know, you and I are old enough to remember uh, the seventies with stagflation. When I was a kid, I remember, uh, interest rates were like 17%. We had massive inflation and like lines, you could gas up like every third day or something. There was like flags in front of the gas station, whether or not they had gas. Are we heading for something like that? Or is this a different thing? Like, it seems like it's going that way, or is it this unprecedented? Because I, I immediately go back to the seventies and go, I remember that was not a real great time. Uh, are we heading towards that kind of thing? Or is this something that's not, we've not seen because there's some other elements at play? I, you know, I can't say for sure if there will be gas lineups because yeah. maybe people will be so broke. They can't even drive their car to the, to line up. Yeah. But yeah. There's going to be, it's really looking bleak right now. And the administration, I'm in Canada, so we, I don't yep. think we had, I, I was, you know, a kid in the seventies as well, but I don't think we had gas lineups to that extent. Okay. But the, both our country's administrations are completely detached from reality. Yep. Like saying, are. okay, we need to shut down these oil companies, but why can't we get them to pump oil faster? Mm -hmm. Yep. After they've like revoked all their permits and shut down all the pipelines. And uh, it's just a complete disaster waiting to happen. Mm -hmm. And, you know, in, in Europe, shutting down all the nuclear projects because of, you know, just almost out of wokeness, really. Yep. And now they're screwed. They're behind the eight ball. And again, this is that that mentality of. Government knows best. You know, my friend Charles Hugh Smith calls it the savior state. And and it just makes it's only capable of one thing, and that is making the situation worse. Yeah. 
So yeah. you, you, you talk a lot and you write a lot about Bitcoin and, and what you call the unstoppable opt-out. What, what is the unstoppable opt-out? What does it mean for us as humanity? Um, why, why do you write about it quite a bit? Um, I love the writing around this, by the, by the way, but what, what is the opt-out? What's happening? What, what are people opting out of? How is Bitcoin instrumental in that? I try to think of things in terms of incentive structures. So there's what the powers, what we call the powers that be. And I mean, we'll talk about that in a bit because I don't think it's a centralized, uniform, all, all knowing power, but just the people who think they're in charge of things, mm -hmm. what they're trying to accomplish and what rights they're leaving to the citizenry and the public. So we're living in a world where our individual human rights are being taken away from us or suppressed mm -hmm. at in, in astonishing, unbelievable ways. And so you, 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 you want to speak up in public? Well, you get deplatformed. You want to exercise mm -hmm. your right to protest? Well, you get called a terrorist and here in Canada, they'll even seize your bank accounts. Yep. It's, it's just, if you back people into a corner and give them no release valve for how they can address their grievances. When something comes along that is uh, provides them with a way to address that grievance, that there's nothing you can do about it, that thing is going to explode. And that mm -hmm. thing is Bitcoin. So a tweet, somebody else, I can't remember their name, but I quoted it in one of my articles, said, Bitcoin is basically calling bullshit on everything. Yep. And oh. so, and it's not just, you know, it's not just a, a, a backed by nothing, digital, nothing, you know, Ponzi, it really is a digital neutral bearer asset with no counterparty risk that can't be seized. Yep. But that's very powerful. If you've ever read your sovereign individual, which if you haven't, I would get it, read it. It's over 20 years old, but it's like a holy text for Bitcoiners. Yep. That you know, the advent of decentralized networks and public key cryptography changed the equation of the balance of power and, and the cost benefits of employing violence. So now you can have wealth that no one can take away from you. Yeah. Now you can have your brain wallet that all you have to do is get out of a given area with your skin intact and your seed phrase in your head, and you can access your wealth in any other part of the world. So it is truly, no matter what Twitter does to you, no matter what your own government does to you, no matter what the mainstream media says about you, you can own Bitcoin, you can store your wealth in this neutral digital bearer asset, you can move it around at will, and there's not a damn thing anybody else in the world can do about it. And that is so powerful that we are only beginning to get the the intuitions or the glimpses into how powerful that is. That's right. I mean, we've never seen anything like it. Everything we've ever done has been inside of the system of the central bankers, right? You know, yeah. I, I, I had something happen recently I was going to mention before we started, but I'll just do it here. Is uh, So I've been you know, an active Bitcoin investor for since 2019. Um, and my bank, I bank with one of the big uh, uh, legacy banks, Chase, and mm -hmm. they have over time, they keep shrinking the amount that I can buy on Coinbase. So the other day, I'm like trying to buy an amount and they said, no, I have plenty of money in my checking account for that purchase. I had to get them on the phone, say, what are you guys doing? I want to, you know, I, I've made, you know, uh, how many dozens of these purchases? Why are, why are you saying I don't have the money? They wouldn't even, he says, you know, that's weird. I don't know why that's happening. And then he put me on hold to go talk to a superior and I didn't hear from him again. And so I went, okay, screw this. I went down to my son where my son has his credit union. And I walked in and I said, I'd like to open an account, but I have a few questions first. I am a, I like Bitcoin. I, I buy on Coinbase and Binance. I want to know right now if that's going to be an issue. The guy told me, well, if we think it's not a safe investment, we'll red flag it. And I went, excuse me? I go, this is my money. Like, well, you're going to red flag. Well, we, if we don't think it's safe, 
I go, but you have no problems with me taking money out to buy, to start a business or go to Vegas or anything else, but this is an issue. So I finally found SoFi, which is a, a, a fintech company. I know you like um, Silvergate a lot, which, which deals in this manner, but they love, they love crypto. So yes. I'm like, okay, I'm going to go with the fintech company because this old fuddy-duddy bank is like, you know, shrink up what they can do, stop the capital floodgates from going over to Bitcoin and crypto, which is what is happening. You know, they're looking at it going, oh, shit, you know, this guy's just an average dude and he's moving all this money over to Coinbase and then we're not seeing it again. It's being dry. You know what I mean? So uh, I just wanted to mention that I've told my friends, hey, you might want to consider looking at a different bank because some of these probably Wells Fargo and Bank of America, all the big ones are starting to go, uh, don't let them don't let them buy on Coinbase more than say $500, right? And so uh, I don't know what you're seeing or if you're seeing any of that, but I think the the, the legacy banks are starting to go, we gotta, we gotta stop the, we gotta try to put a, a finger in the dam because it's, it, capital is blowing out of here like crazy. Yeah, there's a lot of things in that. I mean, I, I always marvel at how the existing legacy systems, whether it's the mainstream conventional banks or the centralized big tech platforms, or even their governments, they're incentivizing their own destruction. Mm-hmm. And it really uh, baffles me how anyone can sort of look at this and say, okay, we're going to, we're going to encourage people to stick within this system by making their lives miserable and demonizing them and expecting it to have that. And then they're, and then they're perplexed when people are sort of opting out and moving their capital away. Right. And, and you, you, you touched on something that I, that I say frequently in my writings is that more and more capital moving into the crypto, the Bitcoin space is on a one-way journey. Like it has no intention of ever coming back. Exactly. Yeah. And um, I haven't seen a lot of the same thing here, if only because I I accumulate most of my Bitcoin through my business. So I just earn it. So it just comes in and it's it's very rare that I'm moving cash out of the banking system Mm -hmm. into into Bitcoin. So I do it in small enough amounts that it's never really been much of a problem. Although I do remember getting a call from my bank once saying, what was this e-transfer you just did? And I said, I bought some Bitcoin with it. Mm -hmm. And, uh, it, that was a bit of a interesting call, but if I go to the bank and withdraw even a tiny amount of money, like a few thousand dollars, they're like, "Why are you taking the money out?" Yeah, and usually I just say like hookers and blow. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Write that down on the forum because I'm not telling you it's really none of your business. They're looking at your file, going, "God, it's more hookers and blow for that guy." Yeah, I know. This guy's got a problem, man. Yeah, for a guy who doesn't drink or do drugs, yeah, 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 yeah. Sure, sure spends a lot on hookers and blow. Yeah, yeah, that's true. That's true. Um, you know, you you talk about smashing your great barrier, and this is getting into the more personal stuff. You you say to be sovereign, you 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 may need to look with some self honesty and smash your great barrier. What what are people's great barriers like? What are you talking about there? Um, you know, how do you identify it? What is it? And why, why do, why do people need to smash their great barrier? Yeah, it's so if anybody is walking around living their life from a place where it's not where they want to be, like if it's, if they're not every day saying, I, I love my life, I'm grateful for everything I have. Uh, but if they're not at that point and they're like, Oh, I wish my life was like this. I wish my life was like this. If there's some, there's some reason why you're not at that point where you want to be. And that reason may on the surface appear to be the outside world, but it's not, it's Mm -hmm. you, it's the internal world. And so for everyone, it's different, but there's some great barrier that is stopping you from becoming who you really want to be from self-actualizing and the circumstances of the outside world that are preventing you from being that are just kind of symptoms of that. And in my case, I I don't make a secret about it. I was an alcoholic, still am of course, but I don't drink anymore. So this is over 23 years ago. Mm -hmm. And so that was my great barrier. 
And I, I got sober and I stopped drinking and I stopped doing drugs and, and, you know, the rest was just, you know, um, the rest was sort of looked after itself. But even then it becomes an onion. Like there's always something in yourself that is preventing you from getting to the next level. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I've heard it called the paradigm. Like everybody has this paradigm. Everyone has a mental paradigm. And a lot of people are walking around with a paradigm from their past or from their childhood that is a set of almost self-imposed blinders and blockages that is are stopping them from getting to where they really want to be. And that's job number one. And fortunately, that is under your control, regardless mm-hmm. of what the outside circumstances are. So you take care of that. And the rest will just all be, you'll be able to deal with whatever is out there in the real, in in the outside world. I totally agree. You know, I, I'm like you, I quit drinking nine years ago and, and uh, my, it drastically, drastically changed my, the arc of my life. Like Mm -hmm. I had all these things happen that I really, they weren't going to happen when I was boozing because the booze was like, it was a depressant. But mm-hmm. it was also just, you know, I, I, I'd wake up feeling hungover. So then I'm not really starting the day. And there was just this air of, it was keeping the brakes on everything. I had some hazy kind of idea of where I wanted things to be, but I wasn't really actualizing it at all because I had to have the booze. And I wanted to do that, you know. Um, but as soon as I quit and I got a handle on that, all of a sudden I wrote a book. I got it, you know, like all these things quickly started to happen that, surprised me delightfully, you know, where I was like, wow, look at what's going on with my life. And, you know, like, like my marriage got better. I would have never thought, but my wife's like, oh, you're, you're totally different. Like you're so much more patient and you're just like, you, you, you just like, you've got things going. And I'm like, huh, it was subtle and not subtle at the same time, but I'm, I'm so grateful. I was, you know, I, I was grateful for all the good times. I, I don't know if I needed to have that many years of so-called quote unquote good times with my friends in bars and all over the world. But, um, you know, I had my fun and I'm really super grateful that I, that I removed that great barrier because otherwise I don't know if I'd still be married. I don't, I don't know what kind of health I'd be in. I probably would be, I wouldn't have this show and I wouldn't have become an author. There's no way, you know what I mean? So, Yeah. Yeah, it changes everything. I mean, I'll tell you a quick story about mine that kind of like our stories sound very similar, like what, you know, who we were, what we were like, what happened, you know, what, what it's like now. I was a a few years after I got sober, maybe like three or four years after I got sober, I was like cleaning out a desk at my apartment and I found like a to-do list from before I got sober and it had like, you know, eight items on it. And it was like, you know, return the videos and read this thing. And then, you know, one of them was like, get beer. Yeah, <laughs> and then I had yeah. a bunch of things after it. And I looked at it and it was like, there was check marks beside each one of them until, and then the last one was get beer. And then nothing <laughs> else got checked off that day. And it's like, you know, that right there is uh, encapsulation of my entire life in those days. So that's a great story, man. That is a great story. Um, you know, you mentioned also in, in that section, you kind of say people may need to jettison what you call low signal inputs. I like this phrase. Um, what are low signal inputs and, and, and why do people need to jettison them or consider cutting down on them? What are we talking about here? Television, anything else? Well, television for sure, but I think a low signal input is is anything that is causing you to think, to expend mental energy on something that you weren't planning on thinking about in the first place and doesn't further any of your own aims. Mm. And so most people are kind of stumbling through life reacting to things and their entire existence is just something that happens to them. Mm -hmm. And what you want to be is you want to be, you want to be setting the agenda in your mind of what you're thinking about. You want to have goals and aspirations and dreams, and you're always expending the bulk of your mental CPU on looking for things that further your aims, thinking about things that challenge your aims, reevaluating your premises, conversing with people who are on the same page as you, dialoguing with people who aren't, but it's all about what your 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 life path 
is. And then what happens is all day long, things are trying to knock you off that beam. You know, the Twitter, what's trending tag and, and mainstream media, it's all just cacophony of negative signals, mostly be getting beamed at you saying, think about this, get outraged about that, become afraid of this, yep. go yep. react to that. And you can spend your entire life just being uh, batted around like a pinball that is all set by other people. Yeah. Trying to hijack your brain, hijack your mental signals, hijack your bandwidth to further their aims, which could just be as simple as, well, I want, I want another click. Yeah. I want to, totally. you know, that, that's what, that's, that's my goal here. It's like, well, I've lost a whole day because you got me so pissed off that I, you know, I clicked on something and then got all in a twist about it. Right. Right. Got to get rid of all that. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. You know, I wanted to talk just for a few minutes about crypto. I know we touched on it a little bit with Bitcoin. I, I've kind of traveled in the same direction as you in that when I first got into crypto, um, the first coin I bought or the first the, the, uh, investment I made was in XRP because that's who introduced me was somebody that was an XRP guy. And then it was Ethereum, Bitcoin. And then I, you know, I started to buy, it wasn't like Bitcoin was really out front by a lot. I recognized Bitcoin was the market leader. Um, but I was like, I had this smattering of altcoins, you know, I think I was buying Cardano and, and Solana and, you know, some of the big kind of altcoins everybody was talking about. And you know, this was a few years back. And so then as, as I've, as I progressed, you know, I started reading more books and I started watching more videos and trying to make sense of it. I became much more of a Bitcoin maximalist over the last year. Um, as I saw how much more pure it was compared to even Ethereum. And, um, my take, I think the altcoins, a lot of them are going to eat each other. It's hard to pick out one that you're that you really believe in. Maybe you like the protocols of something like Helium or Cardano, which a lot of people like when they read the white paper and stuff, um, something like that. But the the whole smattering, I'm just like, I don't know. I would rather zero in on value equities that are in the space, and then Ethereum. I I have I won't I don't want to say I've soured on Ethereum, but it's my take on it. Like I stake, I didn't stake a lot of Ethereum. But I staked enough where I'm slightly annoyed that they're saying, well, when we merge, you may get, you, then you can move your Ethereum off of the where you're staking it. And I'm just kind of like, you know, I'm glad I didn't stake any more than that. But I'm, I'm just kind of like, I'm, a, I'm, I'm annoyed. I don't know if I'm selling Ethereum, but I'm not really, you know, for the longest time, I was like, I want to accumulate Bitcoin, Ethereum mainly, and then are there any altcoins that are jumping out me or projects that are jumping out me, at me like helium say, but um, more and more Bitcoin is the one I'm interested in accumulating the most because I just feel like it's, it's the one, right? Everything else is like, you know, it kind of pales. And I, I know there'll be some projects that end up becoming household names. It's just hard to gauge which ones those are going to be at this point. You know, I know Bitcoin has got legs, but other than that, I'm like, I don't really know. So where are you at? What's your take on the altcoins in particular? I know there's a lot of people that love altcoins. Um, but for me, I've started to get more uh, uh, concentrated and become more, more of a Bitcoin maximalist um, philosophically, as well as just what my por what my crypto portfolio says. Yeah, so I started in 2013. It was Bitcoin I discovered first, and that was the first currency that I started taking at EasyDNS. And I've always been Bitcoin first. Mm. For the longest time, I was extremely enthusiastic about the crypto space in general. And I I'll caveat that. I still am interested in the crypto space in general. I mm -hmm. thought, you know, let a thousand flowers bloom. But what I've come to understand since is that Bitcoin stands apart from everything else crypto. Bitcoin is TCP IP, the mm -hmm. protocol that enables the internet. And Ethereum, for example, is Microsoft Windows. Mm -hmm. Okay. It's, mm -hmm. it's a completely different animal. That's not to say that when we're wearing our investor hat, we can't 
do very well with some of these other projects. Right. And that's not to say that some of these other projects fill a niche that will uh, be very successful. Like the, like the IOT uh, mesh networks. I really like those helium Mm -hmm. and MXC Mm -hmm. and that sort of thing. But Bitcoin stands apart. It is truly decentralized. It is truly neutral and it truly is digital hard money. Mm-hmm. And everything else is like a startup or an application layer or yep. an operating system or a, a Ponzi, right? Ponzi like, or a casino. Yeah. And, yeah. and so, yeah, you, you can, you can become an overnight millionaire or you can go broke overnight on all of these other things, but Bitcoin and I, and I don't see any challenges challengers ever supplanting Bitcoin, mm-hmm. but I see all kinds of things chipping away at Ethereum and any of the other you know, Cardano. Like I see all them prone to the vagaries of competition. In fact, the game theory almost necessitates it because Ethereum has this gas problem, this gas fee problem that they aren't even going to solve after the merge. So what are you going to do if you have a successful application that runs layer two Ethereum? Well, you're going to port it to Cardano. You're going to port it to Phantom and Solana. Like you're just almost baking in this incentive to marginalize your own layer one. Whereas Bitcoin, I mean, it's going slower. There's Taproot and Taro now, which is sort of opening the door to smart contract platforms and things like that. Mm-hmm. It'll happen mm-hmm. in its own good time, but I don't see anything um, being able to challenge Bitcoin in the short term or even the medium term. And for the longest time, I didn't know if Bitcoin was going to be like a global world reserve currency someday or just a kind of emergency money during this coming era of like yeah. hyperinflation or high inflation. But I've I've even modified that and say, no, it's here to stay because of what's been going on in the world. There's this incentive now that and there's nothing else. So yeah. um, state actors, non-state actors, individual citizens, it's they're all gonna have to start stacking sats just so nobody else can take their marbles away. Totally, totally. Well, and then I, you know, I agree with what you said, but, and also like I've said to people, well, I'm never, I'm accumulating Bitcoin. I'm never selling it, but there's a part of me that's like, well, is this going to be how we pay for everything is with Bitcoin? I don't know. It could be some layer that gets, that's the currency layer. I don't know if it will be Bitcoin. I don't, you know, right now it's, it's, it's what I'm accumulating, stacking Satoshis, as you said, um, and I don't really want to part with it to buy stuff, but also this is a moving conversation. This is a very dynamic, fluid thing with lots of development. So, you know, I know, I know it feels right to sort of get more chips, uh, into Bitcoin, but then I don't know what that looks like, you know, five, 10 years down the road as, as what, you know, the fiat thing is going to happen. That's just going to, you know, we're, we're going to be watching that and it'll be interesting. It's interesting to see what the currency is that emerges. Is it going to be something else that gets created? Is it going to be gold backed? Are they going to try to hold on to, you know, fiat with gold back something? You know, they, we know that there's going to be a, a central bank digital currency. That's going to be, Oh God, you know, you don't, you're not going to want to have to live on that. Um, so it's, it's a super interesting space. I'm so glad that, uh, that I get to read your stuff and kind of wait, you know, find out what you think about things. But I mean, how do you, how do you, you, you're fortunate that you have a business where you get paid in Bitcoin. See, not everybody has that. I know you, you're a big believer in that, but not everybody is going to be able to say, okay, I want to create my business and have people pay me in Bitcoin. That might be something that's uh, uh, not everybody can do. So what everybody's doing that's that's listening and going, I believe in this too, or I've read the Bitcoin standard and I'm, now I'm in it, um, is, there, is there stacking sats? Um, but, you know, is there going to be a point where we start paying for everything with Bitcoin, in which case now you're starting to spend? You know what I mean? Yeah, I think about those dynamics a lot. And you know, we started taking Bitcoin in 2013. Mm-hmm. And then, <clears throat> excuse me, as I watched the price rise steadily, mm-hmm. I thought this will all stop because people will want to keep their Bitcoin. But it didn't stop. The transaction volume, sorry, I got to take a sip of water. No, you're good. 
the transaction volume stayed in line with our top line revenues over the entire time. Mm. And what I, but the sats of course went down because the the value went up. And so I've come to the conclusion, my working theory is that because Bitcoin is a deflationary currency, So your central bankers are terrified of deflation because if you're using debt for money, deflation is is terrible. But if you're not using debt for money and you're using a sound money, then deflation actually has beneficial characteristics because it brings your cost of living down Mm -hmm. in the terms of the currency. So I realized or I theorized because I may be wrong, but I, I think what's happening is that because it takes less and less sats to renew your domain every year, mm-hmm. people are like, yeah, I'll just renew my domain using my Bitcoin because it takes like less of a microscopic chunk this year than it did last year. Right, right. And And that's what will happen in the future is that people will spend their Bitcoin because it's taking less and less of their Bitcoin to, to, to buy things. Now I do think there's going to be something that will, it's Gresham's law, right? I don't want to spend my Bitcoin on something disposable. I'll spend Mm -hmm. it on something like an investment or something like that. Right. And so, you know, there will be CBDCs. There still will be nation state currencies. And I think it'll just, yeah, I'm going to use that to pay my mortgage or pay my gas or order food. It's like, I'm happy to use that. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, and I still like, I've got, we just started a program at EasyDNS where some of the employees are taking like a little piece of their paycheck in Bitcoin now. And we're happy to do that. It's like, yeah, yeah, you know, like, great. Welcome to the revolution. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I think, and to your other side of the story or your other question about, well, not everybody owns a business that can take Bitcoin. There are more and more options coming for that. Now, when I was at Bitcoin, uh, 2022 in Miami, there were at least there was BitWage. There was another company where these were just companies where, you can go to them and say, I want to start taking some of my jobs paycheck in Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. And your company doesn't even have to sign up with them. You sign up with them. And, oh, and yeah. they take care of handling all of the, you know, you get the rest of your paycheck and whatever dollars you're normally getting into your bank account, but you're going to get some of that into your wallet. So even if you're working, you know, you got a regular job working for somebody else, mm-hmm. you can go to some of these companies and say, I just want to take a little bit of money in my, um, in Bitcoin, a little bit of my paycheck. Mm-hmm. But the other thing I tell everyone over and over is like, if you don't own a business, you got, you should start a business, like yeah. just a kitchen table business on the side, whether it's affiliate marketing that you do on the weekends or some little niche thing that you can do part-time, mm-hmm. start a business, and then start taking Bitcoin as a payment method at that business. Yeah. And it's something, it's a it's an independent revenue stream that um, if things get, uh, get dicey, you can ramp it up if you have to ramp it up. And you might find that you like owning a business more than you like working for somebody else. And it kind of becomes contagious after a while. Absolutely. And, and that plays right into one of the themes um, in your newsletter is you say we, we worship at the altar of, of uh, uh, optionality. And I think that's a great principle right now as we're like navigating these really uncertain times, like so many things going on. And options is a really powerful place to be, right? Like giving yourself, you know, I don't get my, all my income from this one source, or I'm not tied into, you know, the system this way. And, and using Bitcoin, uh, you know, you get a foot out of the banks. So, you know, there, there's, there's, everything is to increase your sovereignty and giving you options to live your life the way you want to. So you can hang on to your freedoms. You're not going to be, you know, uh, I have to have these central bank digital currencies. Um, that's the only thing I'm getting from my job now because we're cashless. Um, but the, the sad part is they're tying this to, I can't, you know, I can't do this. I can't do that. Or I have to, 
get this next vaccine, which is number, you know, 27 and, <laughs> and who knows what it's going to do to you. I mean, they, they can really tie it to a bunch of absurd things that we're not interested in. So, you know, optionality is front and foremost, uh, a principle. I think that we're all, um, admiring and saying, okay, how do I create more of that? And like, to your point, a kitchen table business, something on the side, um, you know, don't overthink it. What have you been thinking about? Cause almost everybody that I know, um, you know, I know a lot of entrepreneurs and I know a lot of people that talk about being entrepreneurs. So even the ones that aren't have kicked the tires on some stuff. So what a great time right now to say, Hey, wait a minute, let me increase, let me increase my flexibility and my adaptability, um, by, by putting something in place that maybe I can grow over time that will allow me to make my own choices. Right. Yeah. Well, Mark, go ahead. Did you have a thought? No, no, no. I was just going to say, it sounds like we're winding up. I was just going to say, we live in this world where our governments are treating us arbitrarily. Mm-hmm. So what we want, what I love about, you know, why I love, I crave optionality is I want to be able to act arbitrarily. Yes. I want to be able to say, look, I'm going to go do this over here. And I don't really care what anybody else says about it. Absolutely. This is what I want to have happen. And oh. there you go. Yeah, we're on the same page, brother. Um, other than crypto capitalists, we'll mention that in the outro and uh, about what I've been getting out of it. I'll, I'll, I'll do a little segment at the end. But is there anything else you got going on that you'd want our listeners to know about? Or or is it just well, the, the crypto capitalist is the thing? Yeah, uh, free list at bombthrower.com. And if you have domains or websites that you want to have it someplace safe and secure, then move them over to easydns.com. I can create a coupon code too, if you want. Yeah, that'd be great. Yeah, we'll talk about that offline and then I'll mention it in the outro as well. Yeah. Um, okay, sounds good. Well, yeah, Mark, thanks so much for coming back on. I love your newsletter. I love uh, I love the way you're you're framing everything. I feel like you're giving resources to your listeners and your readers. So thanks so much for coming about on Basecamp for me again. I really appreciate the conversation. Well, I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Mark as much as I did. For domain hosting easy and fast, go to www.easydns.com and you can use the code BASECAMP as a discount and you can pay for it in Bitcoin. Thank you, listeners. We'll see you in two weeks. If you find value in our show and wish to show us some love, we are now making that very easy to do. You simply go to www.basecampformen.com and click on Donate Support Basecamp. You'll find an easy way to make either monthly donations for as little as $5 a month, or you can donate just once. We love the monthly donation and hope to build this up over the coming months, but any show of support is greatly appreciated, honestly. Thank you for your support and for helping to keep Basecamp as a resource on your hero's journey. That's our show for today. Thank you for listening. Men, good luck in all your endeavors and good luck on your hero's journey. This is Tony Rezac and you're listening to Basecamp for Men.